This week on a podcast from Beneath, it's Cannibal Holocaust. Mr. Poe, how's it going? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I'm ready to talk about this awesome, crazy movie. Um, and I'm excited uh, to talk about it with you and, of course, our special guest. But I'll let you introduce him. All right. Eric, how's you doing? I's doing well. Uh, hi, I'm Eric Christopher Myers, independent filmmaker. And so very happy to be back for, is this my... Fourth or fifth, maybe? Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's fourth. I think you're right. Fourth. I love that you keep having me back. So please keep having me back until I piss my uh, piss you guys off. Or, or <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. And you brought someone with you this time. I sure did. And I'm going to allow her to break up the sausage party and introduce herself. <laughs> All right. I am, I'm Megan Morgan, and in addition to being Eric's girlfriend, I'm also the author of uh, The Altered Wake and uh, a couple of short stories in uh, A Blink of an Eye, the book based off of his movie. Nice. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, I knew that he had shown you this film, so I'm assuming that was your first time watching it, right? Yes, that is right. Uh, Eric, uh, as I'm sure you know, is a hardcore horror nerd. And when I met him, I was kind of a virgin to the genre. And so he's been taking me through, you know, uh, we did a ton of slashers. Uh, we did the Halloween movies. We've done, uh, we're currently rewatching The Exorcist again. And uh, he has been on several different shows where he talked about Cannibal Holocaust. And every time he did, you know, it, it's sort of considered a foundation of the found footage genre. And yet it was talked about in this very specific way where it was like, uh, it was almost like a do not touch kind of like movie. It was like, unless you're like really prepared for some serious shit, it was like, don't watch this. So for me, I was immediately like, okay, well, obviously I have to watch this, especially if it's sort of a foundational piece in the found footage genre which is where Eric has made a movie. And I know that Butterfly Kisses sort of pulls from that movie a lot. And so I was like, well, I have to watch it. So it's been, we've probably been watching like horror movies for about two years now. And so I've just been sort of like the entire time waiting, like, okay, when are we gonna watch Cannibal Holocaust? Because I know at some point we kind of have to go there. I feel like I have to have the guts to like do this movie. And so finally here in the sixth month of our lovely pandemic, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I think it's time. We gotta watch Cannibal Holocaust, I'm feeling it. And it was awesome because it took her, it took her a long time to work up to that because every single, yes, she said regularly, this is a movie I feel I need to see. Um, it is a foundation stone of this particular subgenre. And yet, with that being said, there is this mystique around the film. It does have this intense reputation that can um, perhaps, if not prevent people from seeing it, cause them to delay seeing it. And it's, it's funny because I've seen Cannibal Holocaust probably about 
and 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 this says something about my OCD when it comes to rewatches because I think I can say I've only seen the movie about ten or eleven times. Um, with that being said, I have never watched it in any of those ten or eleven times with the same person or persons. Interesting. It's always showing it to somebody. <laughs> oh, wait a minute! You've never seen Cannibal Holocaust? All right, sit down. We're gonna. Right. Stuff ready, we're gonna watch this movie. And it's always a different person every single time. And I didn't know, frankly, if you would be, being that you have in particular such a big heart for critters. Yes. Megan is a, she's a nature girl. She's a a hiking girl. And, you know, she sees an ant that could possibly get stepped on on a path. She will stop and she will help the ant relocate. This is true. (laughs) I'm not even exaggerating. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm like, okay, I think she can, she might have a tough time as a woman with some of the scenes featuring rape and things of that sort, but the actual on-screen killing of critters, I I thought that might've been too much for you, but you handled it. Thank you. You handled it very well. Like you weren't squeamish and you weren't, (laughs) Ooing and eyeing and you know curling up into a little ball, you you took it and uh, you, you took it well. Thank you. Yeah, I was wondering. I was worried. I was like, I, I hope they're far enough into their relationship to pull yeah. this movie out because yeah, I that could, was I could <laughs> that could have been a killer. Could have been a relationship kept, killer right there. Uh, <laughs> I could see him on the couch. He kept looking over to make sure she was still there. <laughs> He's like, is she still there? I didn't hear a door close. <laughs> I was keeping an eye on her. I was definitely keeping an eye on her. But, you know, my only rule when we're watching a horror movie, because as she said, she kind of came into this relationship with a relatively blank slate. Yes. Like you saw Butterfly Kisses before yes. you'd seen most found footage. Yes. So, you know, I really wanted to show her all of the, you know, various franchises, whether that's Blair Witch or Paranormal Activity or, or all of those. But also then I'm like, okay, we gotta, you know, we gotta meet Freddy Krueger, we gotta meet Jason Voorhees. Oh yeah. We gotta, you know, check out the spaghetti devil flicks that follow the exorcist. We gotta go down these rabbit holes. <laughs> I just was like, my only rule is um, if you don't wanna watch it, then we don't watch it. But if you're having to put your, you know, hands over your face, yeah, no if hands you're, over your eyes. If you're putting your, you're not allowed to not look at the screen. <laughs> Either look at the screen or we don't look at the screen, but you must look at the screen if you're going to commit to it. Yes. Which has been a very, it's, it, it was a difficult rule for me to adjust to, but I'm glad that I did. Because, well, because yeah. now you're like, oh, that's a Tom Savini kill. Yes. And and I'm, you know, very, very proud of her when she says these things. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you my brief, because I, I really want to hear from you guys. I'm going to give you my brief uh, review of this film okay. from, my, from my view. This film is brutal. It's gross. It makes me sick when I watch it, and I love it. I was trying to eat Cheez-Its M&M's when I was watching it and I couldn't do it. I had to stop eating the Cheez-Its M&M's. But I love this movie. Uh, Mr. Poe, what do you think about this movie? Oh, man. Uh, I, I love the cannibal subgenre. And, and uh, you know, when I first saw it, uh, it was at the video store and then I saw, like, Band and so many kind. Co- so that right there, you know, hook, line, and sinker for me. But after a while, getting to know the history of it, I was like, wow, I mean, that is just nuts and the controversy and everything. But you go back and you watch it and you're like, man, they had some they had some cojones to make this film. And I'm glad to know that the director condemns the stuff that he did. 
you know, looking back, he's like, man, I kind of, I kind of went a little too, too much, you know, but that, that was, you know, with all the other cannibal movies in the seven, you know, I guess it started late seventies. And then this one was in the eighties. And I mean, they just, let's top it. Let's top. And that's, that's everything that we do. I mean, music and, you know, whatever wise. And I think that this right here, they were like, we're going to outdo everyone. And boy, how did they outdo everyone? But they also got investigated because they thought they really <laughs> killed people. On this thing. <laughs> so, but it's a great, uh, like Eric said, it's kind of like a, a rite of passage. You know, if you like cannibal movies, I think this is one that uh, really should be watched. And also kind of with a little bit of disgust, like, I can't believe they did that. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I think about it. Megan, what was your initial thoughts of this film? Um, I, like, I, as I said, I approached it with some trepidation. It was like, I really wanted to watch it, but at the same time, every time it was like, I feel like this is a movie that could ruin our day. So it's like, do I want to watch it when I'm in a good mood? Or do I want to watch it when I'm already in a bad mood? Because it was like, it's gonna, it's not, it's not gonna like, but then I saw it and I'm like, this, I think it's, it's amazing. It's kind of a brilliant movie. And uh, it is ex obviously extremely violent and m completely reprehensible in so many ways. But I feel like it, in its awfulness, it has a purpose. It's like saying something very specific. It's trying to sort of get a very certain message across. And it's doing that effectively with the violence. And it's doing that effectively with sort of like these horrible, awful things that these people are doing. And so I appreciated what it was doing with all of that horribleness. I, I think that I've seen a, a lot of like films and a lot of tv shows these days that are like insanely violent and it doesn't feel like there's any point to it other than the violence this i would say you know is definitely on that level and probably in some ways above with you know th there's an element of realism that you get here with you know them slaughtering actual animals in front of the camera that i don't think that you will ever see again. Like, I think this movie is kind of one of a kind in what it did. And then it kind of shut down the possibility of anything like that ever being made ever again. But I'm fine with that because I feel like what we got is sort of perfect and it kind of needed to be made. And it's kind of something that I think deserves to be seen by more people. But I'm also glad that it's the only one that exists. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, your thoughts on this film? That's going to be really hard to follow, but yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I I do though want to take one step back for a second. Cheese it, M and M's. Cheese it and M and M's. Oh my God, I was going to say. I mean, they're doing some <laughs> fucked up. The cheese it, M and M's. That's awful. What is the? Don't they make a, a peanut butter cup that's stuffed with chips now? Yeah, it, it, I don't know. Getting, I hope so. There's a mad scientist <laughs> in the snack world. There, there's a, there is a brand of Reese's peanut butter cups that has chips on the inside, yeah. crushed up potato yes. chips. So when that. he said cheese it M and M's, you were like, is oh, it that implausible? No, it's not totally impossible. <laughs> 
just going to say, we are in worse shape than I thought we were. We are in the green inferno. Primitive man finding ways to manufacture his chips and peanut butter cups with mm-hmm. a single product instead of just eating like a fucking adult out of two I, I will say this. If someone listens to this and then they make cheese at M&M's, you got a check coming, mister. <laughs> you I got a check so. coming, Carrie. <laughs> no, no, no. I claim. I claim. Res- um, oh, you did. Okay. You, oh, yeah. well, you, he called it, and it's Yay. recorded. Yay! I'm a future billionaire. I'm gonna yeah. buy all their houses, <laughs> pile them down, and build a mall. <laughs> okay. So my uh, my response <laughs> to Cannibal Holocaust is thus: um, I think it's absolutely brilliant for all the reasons all of us have stated but i think it's there's the added layer of the intentional psychological game that ruggiero deodato is playing he is very carefully showing us from the near top of the film these incredibly violent and disgusting um on-screen murders of animals and he's he's not flinching away from them the camera is not shy to this we watch the lemur's throat um slit in close-up um and the gratuitous nature of tearing the rainbow turtle apart the monkey gets shot in the head i mean we see these things and we absolutely know instinctively that they're real uh we also know psychologically and emotionally because that's part of the hook to the movie right you're going to be watching cannibal holocaust and animals are going to die so you're already going in and you're very wound up you're wound up very tight and then you see these horrible things that most of us have probably never seen before most of us have not slit a lemur's throat but we're seeing these terrible terrible things that can have even a low-grade traumatic effect. Then we transition into this documentary, meaning real, with finger quotes, realistic shooting, realistic-looking movie of real things happening and caught on camera, in which we are seeing um, the burning of towns. We are watching the gang raping of the town's women. We are watching um, the violent execution and punishment of, you know, for example, women who were raped and, you know, therefore now are no longer able to return to their home. It, we see these things that are awful and horrible in any narrative story, but given that they are presented with this documentary style realism, after we've watched real on-screen documentary killings of animals, your brain begins to see that which is pretend as being just as real. And that is the real mindfuck of this movie. And that's what makes it so powerful, in my opinion. I think, like Megan said, I never want to see another animal killed on screen, but as an experiment of sorts, how, how much can we upset a viewer? How much can we lead them to believe that, you know, special effects makeup and mise-en-scene and editing and all of these various film language techniques 
how can we make them think that what they're seeing is real? And it worked. It worked. All right. Well, my next question, and I think I got the perfect guy on here to answer this. Is this really the first found footage film? Like when you watch it, do you, like when I first watched it, I didn't assume it was a found footage film. I knew that there was found footage in the film, but I didn't take this movie, Cannibal Holocaust, as being a true film. You know what I'm saying? Like what we consider yeah. found on film today. I think that it has, uh, like for me, it is, but I think that's because you can see that it's sort of laying the foundation for the sort of more pure found footage that comes later in that I don't think that if it had been just found footage, the way we expect found footage to be now, I don't think audiences at the time kind of would have understood it. So they had to kind of sandwich it in this sort of way of like, okay, it sort of introduces you with the professor and then, you know, the, the reels are found. And then within the context of the movie, this other movie is sort of cut together. And so I think that the found footage is there and the idea of, you know, finding out that these horrible things were done by these people and happened to these people through the footage that is found after they're dead. That's the foundation for a found for the whole found footage genre. That is the genre. It just wasn't, it wasn't the only thing in the movie. So I would say that yes, but with the caveat that like, this is the baby, you know, this is like the found footage baby that's kind of inside another horror movie. You're absolutely right. Audiences would not, would likely not have responded the way that they, ex you know, responded to say the Blair Witch Project in 99. It, it's all about context because since uh, Cannibal Holocaust, and we have to remember, it's not like this movie was this gigantic worldwide, you know, blockbuster phenomenon. It was a film that was seen by a lot of people and then became sort of a pariah and lived by reputation more so than people who were actually seeing it. It was in fact banned in so many countries, it was hard to find. Um, the first time I saw it was on a bootleg, um, a VHS from a horror convention. But, oh, wow. you, know, it, you know, as we're going into the Blair Witch Project in 99, we are seeing um, this transition towards reality television. You know, we're seeing a sort of documentary aesthetic that's being brought into our weeknight TV entertainment. And so I think audiences were better primed. We developed the cinematic language for presenting that kind of thing without a structural narrative around it. Exactly, because yeah, in 1980, again, the Holocaust was like, it was like found footage stuffed inside a narrative hoagie roll. You know, it's it's a very weird movie in the sense that uh, when it's found footage, it's 100% what we would consider found footage right now. But when it is the story around it about the footage being edited together and viewed, that's not handled like a documentary. That's handled like a traditional one camera film with multiple setups and different angles cut together for dramatic effect. Um, it's so not it's, handheld. It's clearly stationary. It's clearly set up there shots that are being made for movie like in a very specific structured way rather than 
the found footage stuff, which is handheld camera in the action. Everything's kind of like moving. And the expectation is it will be cut together later. Yeah, it's interesting because if you watch any, especially with the way that HD cameras are right now, and HD cameras are more or less replacing film. Film is, you know, film's gone, film's dead. And so it, there once was a time when you shot on film for movies, for cinema, and a lot of TV was shot on tape. And now that everything can be shot on HD so inexpensively, you watch reality shows like The Bachelor or any of that sort of stuff. And you'll see that, you know, they're able to run around with multiple cameras. They have multi-camera men, you know, in a room shooting different, you know, people having a conversation from different sides. And it's the language of shot reverse shot that we know from narrative cinema but it is a you know pseudo documentary whatever you want to call reality tv at this point but it's it is a it's a documentary documentary content in a narrative visual language when you're looking at something like Hannibal Holocaust in 1980 you did not have the money to have multiple cameras, multiple cameramen. So when you get to that narrative section, it is very clearly a one camera move to different setups. And I just find it so interesting that it's hard to find the anchor in that movie of, am I watching a documentary? Am I watching a docudrama, which is a different thing altogether? Am I watching a scripted film that's been, that's a scripted version of what really happened when people <laughs> looked at this real footage? Yeah. It's weird. It, it, it begs all of these sort of questions. Well, and you had cast and crew, they, they said that this was, that they dubbed it a snuff film because of, you know, we already covered it, but just to go a little bit like with the turtle, uh, people were very disturbed by that. Of course, the monkey being killed, not one, but it was two because they had to shoot it again. And then, uh, oh, shoot. What was the other? Oh, the pig. Now, right. the pig rode with, I think, the actor that was going to be in that scene. And they traveled to where they were going. So he kind of had a little friendship with this pig. And of course they end up slaughtering it and he walked off and he was like, this is, this is too much, you know, and just, just that right there, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I didn't know this. Then that's why we like talking about this stuff. Cause we get to see behind all this, you know, and say, Oh yeah, this is a cool cannibal film, dude. But there's real stuff happening behind the scenes. And you're like, wow, that just adds a little bit more to discuss to this movie because it disturbed people that much. And I think it even messed with someone's anxiety. I mean, to do that. <laughs> well, you know, what, one of the things that you really have to keep in mind, I'm, I'm able to speak to this as an independent filmmaker who's made two features. Um, I nonetheless have made independent features and I would assume that the bigger the scale, the more what I'm about to say is an issue, but Directors can at times be the most hated man or woman on set because they are pushing and they are pushing and this isn't good enough and I need this, you're not giving me what I need. 
and I will find ways to get it out of you. I will upset you. I will embarrass you. You know, there are people like Stanley Kubrick, whose whole legacy is built around the fact that he drove his actors insane. You know, people like Alfred Hitchcock. William Friedkin. William Friedkin shooting guns off on set. Alfred Hitchcock treating his actors like furniture not even talking to them like human beings because he despised the fact that he had to have human beings. Um, You know, directors can be very disliked on a set because they will do whatever they need in order to get the end result that only he or she can really see inside of his or her head. And if it works, it's because the director got that from everyone. If it doesn't work, it's all the director's fault. And the director let the cast down, let the crew down and did not give them what they promised. So with that being said, do the ends justify the means when we elevate this and take this to the next level with Cannibal Holocaust? Do the ends justify the means? Do, do kill, does killing animals, you know, not, not irresponsibly killing animals in inhumane ways as a lifestyle choice, but um, you know, a, a determined number for the sake of communicating a message um, through visual media and generating an, a strong emotional and intellectual response from the audiences. Is it worth it? My argument in this particular case would be, I mean, here's the thing is that there's this slippery slope argument of, okay, like you do this and then it sort of opens the door to like other people doing it. But that's clearly not what happened. Like people saw this and they were like, all right, we're regulating the shit out of this. This is never, ever happening again. (laughs) So in this, like, like weirdly as like peaceful and as animal loving and all of that stuff as I am in this specific case, I would say, yes, it's worth it. And part of that is because it's sort of very, very decidedly, I think it's, I think that the sort of driving message of Cannibal Holocaust is this potentially hokey message of if you go into another culture with certain preconceived notions, then you might get what you think you're going to get. Because that's basically what the, the, the documentary filmmakers do. They go down there looking for violence. They incite violence they get violence. Uh, The professor goes down with, you know, approaching these people as human beings and he walks away with the film canisters. And so I sort of think that like, this is a potentially like sunshine and rainbows message that's being packaged in this really horrible and really, you know, in, in this way that's sort of designed to kind of dredge up the worst of humanity but in a way that feels kind of instructive and feels kind of important. And so for me, I can kind of forgive the movie for what it did to get to where it got to, because I think that it, it was really saying something that was ahead of its time in a way that works. I'll, I agree with the two. I mean, I'm not, I'm not for it so much. I'm not like, you know, praising them for doing it. Of course, doing some research, I find out that they did donate the meat, I guess, to the villages, if that makes you feel any better. Yeah. But um, I do think that it, it really, it gave the movie what it needed. And I'm going to compare it to, because of the way our special effects are nowadays, um, the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. If it wasn't as brutal and gory as it was, you lose that movie. 
that opening scene is what makes that movie because that really puts you in the mindset of it. So I think that it really, it, it helped the effectiveness of that movie. Yeah. By, you know, having the animals killed in it. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that. And like I said, I think that like maybe my opinion on it would be different if this had like opened the floodgates to like more directors doing this kind of stuff, but that absolutely did not happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is good. It's really good to know that like if someone really legitimately like crosses a line, the whole world will go, yeah, no, let's not, let's not do that anymore. Oh, definitely. This, this movie would definitely not be made today. And if it was, they'd have to go through, you know, okay, practical effects, you got to make this and that, you know, to make it look more realistic. And I do agree. Yeah. It, 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 it gives the effect uh, effectiveness of the movie, but I mean, it's just, just knowing that, you know, when, and like Harry said, they, they gave the meat. Yeah. That, that does kind of be like, and I think that's the problem. I think the director's like, Oh, they're going to kill these things. Anyway, they're going to eat it. Anyway, the monkey brains is a delicacy to them. So, you know, what, what's the big deal, but <laughs> they don't do it for that. They don't do it and put it on camera. Plus they, just do it in private, monkey, you know? they put a bullet in the monkey's brain. So you yeah. just, Fucked up that old delicacy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this tastes a little funny. So I watched it again today. I don't know how many times I've seen it, and I don't remember the first time that I've seen it. Um, again, I don't think I've seen it with the same people. Just like I didn't think about that until you mentioned it. I don't think I've sat down with the same group of people and watched it. And I, I don't know. Is it, is it one of those movies that you want to do that with? <laughs> It's, it, it's not it's not a drinking movie, right? Or you know, hey, let's all get together and watch Cannibal Holocaust. I, I think it helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the drinking probably helps, yeah. but you don't plan you don't plan on it. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's a challenging movie. It's not like a it's not like a party movie. It's not like mm. a movie that you're gonna. I don't think it's a movie that you go to when you're like, especially right now. Like all the movies that we want to watch are movies that are not particularly taxing. And that are sort of like they're fun. It's like okay, I can sit down and I can watch a Friday the Thirteenth movie, and I'm gonna walk away being like, "Yay!" At least a little bit. It was a good time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me let me put it this way then. So we're all gonna sit here and talk about how awesome this movie is. But Eric, do you enjoy watching this movie? No, I <laughs> okay. I absolutely do not enjoy it. I. What I enjoy is I enjoy the fact that it takes me on an emotional and intellectual journey. And that I know that parts of that journey are going to be very, very difficult. And, you know, it, watching Cannibal Holocaust is probably like Frodo trying to take the ring to Mount Doom. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just like only 85 minutes long. But it is the same sort of like treacherous terrain psychologically because you're going to see things that you're going to carry with you after you see the film. Um, it's going to confront you with certain ideas that aren't going to just dissipate. It's not, as Megan said, Friday the 13th, where you walk away and you, you make some jokes about how Crispin Glover was dancing and oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> list what your favorite kill was. Cannibal Holocaust is a movie that sticks to you. It's it's It leaves a grimy residue and you feel like you're soaping it off for the next few days and i'm confident watching you know comfortable watching this film only you know when the mood strikes and the mood strikes when i'm talking to 
um, people who are either discovering horror or people who are very interested in sort of the genesis of certain cinematic language. It's like, if you want to talk about, um, you know, a lot of what constitutes modern filmmaking, you start looking at the French New Wave. And, you know, once we start getting cameras off of sticks and a lot of handheld stuff, start watching things like a Buddha Souffle. And then you take this left turn over to Cannibal Holocaust and you, you really start seeing how different cultures with what they were doing with cinema starts to cause this outward ripple effect. So I find it a very interesting film to watch with people who are very interested in film or in horror as a genre um, with multiple subgenres stemming out from it. It's a very almost academic exercise for me when I watch this film because no, I don't enjoy it. Um, I don't have fun watching it. And another interesting thing I just noticed is that not only have I never watched it with the same person twice, but I have never watched it with more than one other person. So I, believe, I guess I believe I have watched it in a group, not a group setting. Like if I say, I mean, it was more than one person. I would say probably four people <laughs> was probably the most. <laughs> that's, the sort of, that's the sort of audience and and camaraderie I had when I was thirteen and fourteen, and we were going to the mom and pop store, and finally one of us would con our brother, older brother, or friend into getting us Faces of Death. Oh and, yeah, you know, we would have our sleepover and all watch faces of death because we're 12 13 14 yeah, years yeah. old as an adult it doesn't feel like you know hey let's have the guys over for football <laughs> but instead watch faces of death or cannibal holocaust it's it's a very different thing as an adult i think when you're younger and there is that almost like you know somebody found dad's porn tape under the <laughs> right yeah we're all gonna watch it together there is that sort of quality now, i think mr poe you probably enjoy watching this one don't you yeah, um, well, you know, that's the thing. Uh, I'm kind of like him, uh, you know, like Eric said, he gets in these weird moods, you know, you kind of, you think about it or, um, you know, I think like IFC, they'll show like uh, another cannibal movie and you're like, oh man, I want to watch the other ones, you know, and it, that'll, that'll just, you know, trip something off. Now me, I've just watched it with myself. I mean, I'm the only one that's sat down and watched these. I know my wife would, I, I could show it to her, but I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's kind of weird. And I like how you mentioned faces of death. Cause I was on a kick on that about a couple months ago. I thought of it and I just, I mean, they're on YouTube and just go one through, I think five, I think they are. Yep. So it, it's it's weird. I'm weird. Okay, I get in a weird mood. I'm like, I gotta watch that movie again. Maybe maybe I missed something, or you know, and I, that's why I revisit things. Now, like I said, I don't agree with some of the stuff that's in this. Well, most of the stuff that's in this, but it is cool. It it just it's weird. It's one of those weird films. You get in a weird mood. You want to watch them, you know. And that's me. That's how that's how I watched it again. I didn't watch it again for this, but I just remember it, and I probably hadn't seen it not too long ago i think on b movie tv he showed he showed uh, one of the other ones not the cannibal holocaust but i think i watched on youtube not too long ago so but yeah all right well another thing that i don't think i've done until today is talk at length about this film <laughs> <laughs> with other people <laughs> 
And so watching it today, it kind of triggered me in a way of like, at the beginning, when, when, when we first cut back to the documentary footage, or the guy who's on top of the Empire State Building, I think, mm-hmm. and he's describing these tribes in the Amazon. But as he's talking about that, it's showing New York City, different shots, people, you know, as he's describing the Amazon. So... Megan, let's start with you. What is this film trying to say about civilized society and possibly the entertainment business? Because the bookends of this movie, I think, have a lot to say about entertainment. Yeah, uh, this movie is, I think, saying a lot about narratives and sort of what, how narratives are really important for constructing what we consider civilized society. And I, uh, you know, we, we sort of have these stories about this is what a civilized society does. Like, you know, you sit down at a table with your knife and your fork and you drink your tea and you put your napkin in your lap and you make polite conversation. Like that's civilized society according to like our story, according to like our narrative. And so I think that this movie is very specifically watching people take that narrative with them into another culture and they they take that narrative and they're like okay well you don't do any of those things ergo you are not a civilized person and these people who are supposedly civilized take that like civilization narrative and just start like fucking everything up because they are seeing these other people as like not civilized and potentially not even human. They're just now a part of these people's story, these supposedly civilized people. And so they take this story that they're telling and they use these people to try to tell it and they end up being brutally and deservedly murdered for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that a huge part of what this movie is doing is sort of demonstrating the power and the potentially damaging power of, of, you know, these narratives that we have about what we as people, like what our behavior should be and what are the indicators for what makes a person a person and what makes a person a civilized person. And uh, yeah, I think this movie is being very, very critical of the idea of sort of elevating, you know, a specific culture to a point of being like superior. And I think that it's a, a, a narrative that applies even now in, you know, sort of the state of the world, the way that it is, I think that that message of, if you take your story of what people should do and what people should be, and you try to apply it to a different group of people, then you're going to end up uh, in some bad shit. (laughs) So don't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mr. Poe, what do you think? About, <laughs> I mean, <yeah. laughs> no, I, I I agree. I mean, yeah, it, it's. I don't know if it if it ties in like that. Um, I don't know what he. I'm trying to think if there was a deeper meaning of, than just a guy trying to make the craziest movie ever. You know, uh, I'm trying to think of what was going on at the time, in the '80s. Because <laughs> so, I'm, I was born in the '80s, so um, no, I can't think well, of I mean, anything. Well, like, if, I mean, if you, well, think about it this way: think about like 
we're all disturbed by the animal killings, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's but, if you have a heart. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know, but I'm just saying. But in that, in in their civilization, that's normal for them. Well, it's yeah. just disturbing. To well, it's kind of like if you go somewhere else, like yeah, that's you know, well, that's got... what I'm saying. But you had so you have these these four, you know, filmmakers who are they go in going, and, yeah, and, and they're that. basically. I mean, I, I see the stories like flip flop, like you know, they're 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 actually the villains of this film. Well, that's right? that's kind of like anything else, though. I mean, you could go anywhere, like where I'm from. You go down by the border. It's not anything to see a, a cow's head or cow tongue sold at the local grocery store. You know, you're not going to see that somewhere else because that's what they do. I mean, that's, it's different cultures. I get that. Yeah. And not, and you want to say, well, and that's the thing. They are the villains. The guys that went in with the cameras are the villains are raping and, you know, they caused all that. Now it kind of sucked that the tribe had to kill the girl because of her virginity and all, but they caused that. I, I don't think that it's, I don't think that the movie is, I don't think that the movie, some movies, what they do is they can sort of like take, uh, take a culture that we would consider like savage. Uh, yeah. And, and they sort of like try to show that culture as being like perfect in, a way that isn't realistic. So I think that's actually something that this movie does really well is that it does show, you know, like, oh, this culture can at times absolutely be brutal, but if you respect it, because I think that that's when the professor comes in at the very beginning to try and retrieve the footage, to try and find the filmmakers, like his approach to the culture is, he he got go, he goes in sort of like he actually literally gets naked at one point in front of these women in order to sort of like humble yeah, himself like trust me his trust and he also he treats them as human beings who he can work with and who he can cooperate with whereas you have these like filmmakers who they go in and they take the complete and total opposite approach they uh, go in automatically assuming these people are you know they're, they're horrible, they're brutal, they're not like us, we can't work with them, so we're going to incite them into the responses that we want through violence and through, you know, all of these horrible things. When, you know, like if they had just approached them as human beings, then they could have gotten a completely different reaction and a completely different film. Well, it's kind of like, you know, any, like the experiments with what they did with people, they would like, okay, uh, we're going to leave you in this room and someone is going to tell you to push that button. And they tried it with different ones. Y'all know what I'm talking about yeah. with the, you know, so they, there was no authority. So that just shows that we kind of need that kind of authority to keep us kind of in line because we are, I think we're all animals. You know, we are, we're, we're a type of animal and we need to have like, you know, if no one's watching, you know, there's that, that thing in our brain, you know, we're like, oh, okay. You see, a, you know, maybe a couple hundred bucks on the ground and there's that thing in your brain like, oh, you know, free money. But then you start thinking like, oh, that's not right. And it's in front of this person's house. Maybe they got out of the car and dropped it. You know, and, and that right there, like you said, they wanted to get a response. Hey, we want to do this. But there was no repercussions. They're like, oh, what are they going to do? They're just 
you know, they're stupid tribal people. We're just going to knock them around a little bit without knowing the full effect of what was going <laughs> to, because they, they had their own brand of justice and keeping people in line. And I think, you know, like you said, you go to a different spot. You're not used to that, that way of thinking or doing. I get it now. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Eric, what do you think about it? I think that it's no accident that Cannibal Holocaust came out exactly 40 years prior to 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you're talking about showing the sort of concrete jungle of New York is making a statement that was true 40 years ago, but we are, I think, um, very sadly um, seeing more explicitly now, wherein we think that because we live in the space-aged future in which we all have automobiles and yeah. buildings going all the way to the sky and we talk on portable devices that allow us to find all information um, by typing into a search engine. It's, it's like we live in this advanced society um, that Star Trek in so many ways predicted and we keep evolving into this techno society and yet we completely broke down as a civilization this year. We completely fell apart socially, um, politically. We had a terrible event happen to us in the form of a, a, a global health crisis. And our leadership was telling us things that most of us realized were not true. Um, we had battles for communication. We had, um, we stand even now on the brink of, you know, even minor civil war. And we are animals. We are animals who think we are advanced. We think that we are educated. We think that we are enlightened. And thus we shall go and we shall find the primitive man and we shall put him in a cage. And in this case, it's an electronic cage. It's your TV screen. But we shall put primitive man inside a cage and then we shall allow you this look into a world, the lost world, that no longer, you know, has any bearing on our enlightened, cultured society. And as these men and women go into the green inferno, it's the heart of darkness. The deeper they go, the more they lose themselves, the more primitive they in turn become. And soon discover they have no humanity. There's no humanity, that gang rape scene. It's yeah. there's no humanity left. There's no, it's all animal instinct. And then they're slaughtered like animals for being so primitive that they would enter another culture's geographical zone and then essentially make war with it, disrespect it, um, throw the throw its its belief systems in its face desecrate and disrespect it and like an animal would do and so this primitive society um doles out its justice so the question is what separates us from animals what what really is 
um, primitive man? What is cultured, enlightened man? What is modern man? And look at 2020, and we're, so many of us are acting like animals. And the only difference is, again, it's a, it's a jungle of steel and concrete and glass rather than trees and leaves. Do you know what we need now? We need the good locust. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really think that what we're missing with all the, like what you just said, I think we're all missing a little bit of humbleness um, to sit down and listen and both sides listen. You know, um, I don't like the, I, I, I agree with you. I don't like this tribal mentality. Um, I think that if people would just listen to each other, just like, you know, this, you just, you blew my mind because we're talking about this film, this, this, you know, little exploitation film. And it really does make you think like, wow, maybe there was a little message in this. Uh, But I think people need to, hey, you know, get off the keyboard and go and sit down and talk. Have a couple, you know, drinks or whatever. Get with your friends. Talk with them. You know, um, don't shut people out because, like you said, that that the whole thing. Everybody's different. Everybody thinks different. Maybe you can enlighten that person just a little bit more instead of shutting them out. And I'm talking about everything. You know, I I try to listen. Uh, me, I, I I like hearing both sides. I like double sided. You know, coin. There's two sides of the coin, right? You know, and I'm going to be a good person and I'm just going to, hey, man, you know, if that's what you're going to say, that's fine. But as far as going, you know, those bad routes, I'll tell you, you know what, kick rocks because I don't want to hear it, you know, on either. I'm like, hey, man, I want to be positive. That's what we need. And, uh, yeah, that man, that just speaks volumes. This movie, if you start thinking about it, like, wow, that did happen. Everybody just went crazy. Everybody, oh man, this is nuts. And, you know, but like you said, it comes in with, you know, leadership and all that good stuff. So the only so, solution is going to be get naked, get into a lake and rub mud on your crotch. You know what? Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Meet up at the biggest lake. Yeah. Um, so the, my, well, the other thing, trust I, me yet. the other thing I took away from this, uh, watching it again today was, the my thing was like the entertainment business where you have these i'm assuming they were all producers they really wanted to get this made no matter what so was he trying to say something there maybe eric it i mean it was a network my 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 assumption at the time was it was like you know nbc or cbs or abc um that had funded this expedition um because of their last ratings bonanza with this this group of filmmakers and they needed a return on this investment. And particularly given the fact that these award-winning filmmakers died in the process of making their last documentary, that means that by default, it's going to be a huge financial windfall. People are going to want to watch this. People are going to want to discuss this and cover this. This is historical. It's like when Heath Ledger dies after filming, you know, the, the Dark Knight. Like now, all of a sudden, like this is a movie everybody has to see. Exactly. Last yeah. Time. Exactly. And so they're, you know, they're pushing to get a product. So 
you know, the, the important thing to remember with show business is it's not called friend business. <laughs> <laughs> the business true, of show true. is a business. And so they want to make money. And yeah, I mean, we've, we've heard of all kinds of stories in the reality entertainment world. Uh, where former contestants on a you know a wide variety of these shitty schlocky um, allegedly real documentary style entertainment TV shows were in fact directed or were in fact uh, directed to redo something but say this this time or you know they I was misrepresented by way of of editing and on the one hand. You know, that's a real easy thing for a person to say to cover their tracks. It was all editing. But on the other hand, I, I'm an editor and I know you can completely change the meaning of something, even just based on what music you lay into the background of the scene. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's shitty. It's exploitative. And I will bet you any kind of money that in the world of Cannibal Holocaust, after the film that we know ends, um, the professor decides he wants nothing to do with this. Um, if he doesn't, we last see him at the very end, he's standing on top of the building. If he doesn't jump, he does get in the elevator and he goes back down and then he gets in a cab and then he never comes back. And they hire um, somebody to come in, some sort of like, you know, get it done this weekend kind of guy they have on call. He comes in, steps in, gets all the footage together, they sort of, you know, package it by committee to probably make it inspiring, heroic, and then perpetrate a lie on the um, 8 p.m. audience. Right. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that happening. Well, you know, that kind of happened with, uh, with, um, oh, my God, The Crow, Brandon Lee. I watched that whole thing, you know, where they're talking about it and, and everybody was just so devastated. They didn't want to do it. And they're like, uh, hello, uh, we spent a lot of money on this, you know, and we put a lot of stuff behind it, marketing, whatever. And they still didn't want to do it. And it took Brendan's mom and I guess girlfriend to say, you know what? No, he want, he would want this. So, yeah, I mean, that's like you said, that's how they did it on, you know, the movie. No, we want this and this. But then they saw the actual atrocity. And, do you, you know that maybe... Ruggiero Deodato looked at his assembled footage and said, you know, this is too much and I don't want to do it. I don't want to release this. And then the pigs family contacted <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, something Mr. Oinkers, Mr. Oinkers would have wanted yes. to be released. You can go ahead and do this. I, I think that just watching this movie as I said, I was not expecting it to be what it is. And I think that every choice that it made was very intentional. I think this is a movie that I, I can respect because it seems to know exactly what it's doing and exactly what it's trying to say. And so I think that these, you know, these conversations where the producers, you know, are kind of pushing for it to go out and the professor, like, look, you can't, you can't put this out there. And then they watch it and they kind of just walk away and sort of are like, okay, all right, we can't deal with the, these are choices, you know, that the, that the film is making and they're intentional. This is not some haphazardly thrown together slaughter fest. This is a movie that is trying to say something. And so, yeah, when it is 
just the fact that it has the film within the film going on, that it has that level of, there's that dual level of observation. There's like, there's, or triple, there's like you, the viewer who's watching the movie. Then there's the, the bookend section with, with the professor and the producers. This is another layer. This is another layer of narrative that you're like digging down into. And then there's that core layer of narrative that is the found, the, mo the movie that's in the found cans. And so this is like, you're being taken down into these depths and it's a step-by-step -step process. And it's like a very specific journey. Like, I don't think that this movie could have been constructed any other way because you have to step down into it the same way that sort of like the professor had to step down into it. And you have to simultaneously recognize yourself in the professor and also recognize yourself in the filmmakers and you have to also recognize yourself and i think this is the reason why you had to come in with the sandwich you know sort of like the bookend sections you have to recognize yourself in the culture that is being labeled as like savage and so i think that that's why you're sort of introduced to the villagers through you know this kinder sort of professor character who's willing to communicate with them because you have to know that you're dealing with human beings who just maybe aren't doing things the way that you do because then when you get to the portion where their response is to you know like tear these filmmakers apart you have to understand that they're doing this for a reason and like even though you saw that reason you still have to already be able to identify with these people and you like so yeah you have to be able to identify with everyone and so yeah these choices are being made and it's very specific and it's being constructed to sort of like give a very specific message all right so we talked about the animal cruelty uh megan i hate to drop this one on you how did you feel about the rape that was in this movie was it um, did it did it help the story along any or do you think it was they could have left it out um I don't, I mean, this is a movie that's trying to be brutal. Um, I don't like it, um, obviously. Uh, I, and uh, I, I think that it was treated the way that it needed to be treated for this specific film. I can understand why those kinds of scenes would make this impossible for some people to watch and I would completely and totally respect that. Um, and at the same time, I think, I think it's an important part of this movie. I think that, I think that the mistake would be to watch this movie and be like, okay, well, Cannibal Holocaust did it. So now I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah, like I said, I've, I've seen rape in movies and in, you know, TV shows that felt gratuitous. It was there to be disrespectful you know, it was there to diminish and minimize women and sort of their place in the narrative and their place in society. And I don't feel like that was happening here just because the the brutality was there in so many other ways too. Um, but obviously like that's upsetting. And it goes toward, sort of towards what we were talking about earlier. This is a movie that is hard to watch. 
Mm-hmm. It should be hard to watch. You should not, I don't think that you should typically be sitting down to watch Cannibal Holocaust for shits and grins because it is designed to be difficult. And I think that, you know, like that's a part of it, that the rape absolutely is sort of like part of that difficulty. And I think it's treated that way. I think it's treated with brutality. I don't, I think that a lot of times, sorry, a million tracks. Um, I think <laughs> a lot of times when you see the, 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 a lot of the objection to the way rape is often presented in our culture, especially in modern and current film, and I hate fucking Game of Thrones for this, is that it is made sexy. And that is hugely problematic. That is definitely not happening here in this movie. Uh, The rape that occurs in this movie is violent and it is shown to be violent. And that is actually not a narrative that we very often get in our culture. Very often in our culture, the narrative that we get is that rape might be like bad, but it's a little bit sexy too. This is like, no, it is not, it is not sexy. It's, it's an act of violence, and that is what it is. So how did you feel about the preceding scene in which the two crew members yes. are having violent sex while um, a village is on fire and the villagers are sitting off to the side watching this violent fornication happening amidst the burning? I think it's gross, and I think it's supposed to be gross. I don't think that that's supposed to be hot either. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you're supposed to watch that and be like, ah, yay, party time. I think you're supposed to watch that and be like, oh, these people have problems. Like, they clearly have, like, gone way over to the other side. And this is, like, that's a moment where I sort of feel like you kind of want to distance yourself from them. Do you feel at all like the filmmakers in Cannibal Holocaust who keep coming back and being presented and representing themselves as being these heroes who go journeying into these, you know, unexplored These regions. dangerous places, do you, yeah. Do you think that part of the motivation for them going on these adventures is they're kind of like the guys who join the army so they can play Call of Duty in real life and get to shoot real people. (laughs) Maybe these these are filmmakers that wanted to be able to go down there and just fuck with shit. I think that you're seeing, I think they're definitely presented as these, these people who, they're coming from a place of incredible privilege. They're coming from a place of being educated and skilled because, you know, they've done this kind of documentary footage before. They've won awards for it. They know what they're doing. And I think that they, you know, I, I, my little headcanon is that they're people who started off with, we have to tell the story. Like, we have to capture this specific narrative about this place where we're going and this thing that we're trying to capture. And I imagine that they progressively sort of, you can see in their previous documentary that probably they did the same tactics there that they are doing here, where they incite violence, where they, in the service of telling this story, do things that are terrible, which makes this movie really meta because the director was basically <laughs> doing the same thing. Like, you went too far. And it's, yeah, so I, I kind of think that's sort of what I get from it is that, you know, there are these, these people who they are going in 
they're not just projecting their narrative onto the people, they're trying to structure everything around this story that they want to tell and they'll do anything that it takes to make that happen and they kind of get off on it. Well, do you think maybe maybe it was the pressure from the not a studio or whoever's back and, you know, giving them the money to say, go and make this one bigger and badder than your last one. I mean, that has anything to do with why they were like, look, if nothing happens down here, we have to come back with something. I mean, we have to do it ourselves. (laughs) Outside expectations absolutely could be driving it. I think also there are a few times where you see them kind of take joy and delight in having power over you know these people because they have guns because they have equipment they i think that they kind of they seem to anyway to me enjoy and get off on having power so i think that there's like there's a little bit of personal satisfaction that they're taking from burning a village down. there's also something to be said though for the fact that and speaking as a filmmaker when you're able to capture something mm-hmm. um you know you're everything that you're doing your your objective is to capture the visual information to tell your story yeah and when you're able to get something and you know it's genius i mean that's just that's that's the goal that's Mm -hmm. the filmmaking goal and so they're going and are they excited because they're hurting people or are they excited because they're hurting people and then capturing the aftermath the effects of that and getting this compelling one-of-a-kind footage um, that will service the story that they have been hired and have chosen to take and to tell. Um, I don't know. The, yeah. the creative in me goes, you know, that 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 uh, rather violent, you know, coitus occurring in the burning village, you know, could be the act of two people who are really turned on by the daytime Emmys that they're going to, all right, well, let me lighten this up a little bit. Cause I have a, um, yeah. sort of a technical question that I think Eric can help me with. Now the filmmakers in the film, they are, they're using 16 millimeter cameras, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. How much, uh, how much time or how much footage can you get on one reel? that loads into that because i, I want to figure out how many reels of film are these people carrying around with them <laughs> through the about, jungle <laughs> about 12 because they talked about it a lot there was a very specific they had a very limited number and they actually brought it up several times like how many cams there were right mm-hmm. and what happens on 16 millimeter cameras of that sort and i believe one of them was a bolex which i used when i was a film student they 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 are hand cranked um, not like what you imagine when you see, um, you know, an old timey movie and someone is just turning the crank to make the but film run. It's like wound up like a, like, like, a, a, like a watch. Yeah, it's a clockwork motor. You wind it up and mm-hmm. then it goes for 30 seconds. And the idea is you can take it anywhere without power and just be able to, you know, run it off its own internal engine. So um, usually cameras of that sort take hundred foot rolls, which are just a couple minutes long. So, conceivably, if they had 12 cans, they, you know, they had like... It's like 24 minutes of footage, potentially, maybe 
it, depending on what kind of film and like what the the size of the role it's been a very long time but sure. i want to say it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about five minutes if somebody is listening and can correct me please um leave a comment leave a rating yeah. um, <laughs> all about a podcast from beneath and uh this guy who doesn't know what he's talking about even though he once shot on 16 millimeters um, but at any rate it, yeah if it's like five minutes um you know that's like an hour yeah you know if it's like 12 rolls that's like an hour which and, is also wow. kind of indicates why they would be feeling pressure to go in and incite certain events because if you have to be that judicious about what you're filming then you have to get it like mm -hmm. you have to get what you're going for you have an incredible amount of pressure and i think that like i don't know the the famous dinsdale like nessie film is like a huge part of that story is the fact that he didn't have much he was about to leave he like popped his camera up and he like had cranked it and he just barely supposedly caught this thing on it so yeah if you're if you're out there in the field you it is not like you can hit a button from amazon and get more right go over, yeah <laughs> yeah they had to catch the next bam boat or something you have to get what you're going for you have yeah. to and you don't have any time to do it, like none. Yeah, that, I mean, that's why storyboards and things of that sort used to be, you know, just you, you could not function without a storyboard because you didn't have unlimited data storage. You know, what you had on your roll was what you had. And so it was really important to plan all of your shots. With documentary, that's obviously hard. Um, I, I, an hour feels like, does not feel like enough. It does not feel like enough for what they would have. Perhaps they had larger roles. I'd be interested. Now I want to look into yeah. the technical. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. Let's, <laughs> let's figure this out and we'll write a Snopes article together where we debunk the ability for Cannibal Holocaust to, to even possibly exist. There we go. There we go. <laughs> well, so after the film came out, the director was uh, arrested in, was it Italy? Yeah, yeah. for indecency. Okay. And he put on trial on trial thought he might have actually committed murder right mm -hmm. yeah they actually had to bring the actors in to the court to say look we're alive yeah <laughs> but well, uh, when i when oh, i watch oh. it i'm sitting there thinking okay i'm not a medical expert i'm not a doctor but i'm pretty sure whenever you remove the meat and tendons from bones they kind of fall apart and you always see these like skeletons in these movies that are like held together by nothing and i'm oh. like if you just see that the beginning of the movie the guy eating the arm and <laughs> it's like obviously this is not real <laughs> i think it was because of what's behind me right there the poster the post through the woman i think that's when you see that you're like holy shit that was very well done and it looks real yeah i think that's why it wasn't people eating you know what well, you could tell you're right know, you can you tell that shit i would say they still had to watch the film to before they knew hey these you know, they're killing people in these movies but they used that to to market the movie they're like right. look at this and you're like oh shit that looks you know and the, am i wrong i mean I, I that's what i think it was the director also sort of created a little bit of the issue in that he I think he did a similar thing to what they did in Blair Witch Project, where the actors had were part of their contracts was to stay silent yep. for years. Oh, after okay. So, now a lot of the actors were unknowns, right? I knew one guy was in porno, I think. <laughs> yeah, and and so basically, like, not only did he have this movie where things are looking very realistic, 
And, you know, people I'm sure are like watching this from in this very heightened state because that's what it's supposed to trigger in you is this fight or flight fear response with, you know, showing these graphic images of animals being slaughtered. Um, so I can absolutely conceive of someone walking out being like, well, they very clearly also chopped up like a couple of human beings there at the very end. Where are the actors? And they start looking for the actors and they can't find the actors because the actors have signed contracts to be quiet. So like, if you're an investigator, you're gonna call the director and be like, yeah, hey, um, we need to talk about this because we can't find these people now. So yeah, I think that at least part of that might have been the director's decision to ask the actors to kind of like keep their mouths shut for a year after the release mm -hmm. of the movie. Now, do we know if any of that was actually true or is it, was that a marketing ploy? Like the, the most scariest movie you've ever seen? <laughs> well, yeah. well, you know, was it a real trial or was this something that they made up for? Oh, no. Marketing? I, I think no, it was real. Was it? Real. Okay, okay. I I really haven't looked much into the history of it. No, because they really yeah, like the rumors. They they thought yes, people actually died making this film, and he had to prove okay, these people are alive. Well, they still got him for the animal cruelty. Right. They still got him for that. They're like, okay, this shit was real, you know. And they even had people like I say, cast and crew that were disgusted by it and pissed off that he even did it. So, of course, they probably, you know, threw him under the bus on that one. But I think, yeah, because it is real. This this was real. And it was, it was banned in so many places. I think New Zealand banned it. And all these places are like, oh, no, no, no. This We're not going to show this. We're not going to show this film. countries, I think. That's what it says on the cover of my, yeah, yeah. my bootleg. It was like 88 countries. <laughs> I think United <laughs> Kingdom, they had it like very condensed version. Sure. I mean, they had to condense this movie to get it out. And he shot this film, I believe, in English because he's like, okay, it's in English, so more people will go see it. Well, then, of course, we get what we got, and <laughs> they still kind of chopped his legs out from under him and say, oh, no, no, you got to remove this and this. And I guess that's why a lot of people didn't get the full experience. I think there's probably still people that hadn't seen the uncut version. Sure. Maybe I don't know if the internet exists, so maybe they have. Yeah. But I wonder—is there a made-for-TV version? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah. I don't think that would be possible. Yeah. Sunday Family Movie Night. <laughs> They'd show the beginning, and not even the beginning. Just show the credits, and then <laughs> yeah, that's it. And then the credits. Oh, they're going to the jungle, and the movie's over. Yeah, um, yeah that's. Uh, it's an interesting film. I love talking about this kind of stuff, and especially the. I, I know there's a lot of people that probably still haven't watched this film or didn't even know it exists. And another one of my favorites is uh, Cannibal uh, Pharaoh. Yes, it's another one that's a good one. Man from Deep River. I was always part yeah. of that one. I like that one. Yeah, this whole, you know, spaghetti spaghetti cannibal <laughs> subgenre that happened there in the seventies. <laughs> pretty yeah. it's pretty wonderful i didn't so, have a quick oh, oh, no, okay. oh, no i i had a question and it's actually for everyone and if you've seen it uh eli ross green inferno i did watch that one that's what i was going to bring up oh you I, were oh well shit <laughs> i was going to bring that up as well and just say that um it's next on my list to show megan 
I've okay. not to her yet. Um, but I will say, and, and you guys, you guys dive as deep or not deep. Oh no, no, the, the, but we don't I, want to ruin it. You did say earlier in this episode, you said a movie like this could never be made today. And that was exactly what I was saying in 2015 when it was announced that the Green Inferno was coming out. I was like, you can't make this movie again. Yeah. And I think that it is successful in some regards, um, but mostly, um, mostly it's just rendered sort of irrelevant, useless, and pointless. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not, it's just, it's kind of like, why do we have this? I'm not a fan of Eli Roth, but also I really didn't enjoy Green Inferno as much as I was hoping that I would. I was kind of hoping for more of a, hey, maybe I can watch this and not want to go puke my guts out when I'm done. <laughs> but it just, yeah, it's not, it was a kind of a letdown to me. I think uh, my opinion on the Green Inferno is there's some certain scenes, like you said, Eric, there, there's some hits that are like, wow, that, that was okay. That's pretty cool. And then some of it's like, what the hell? <laughs> like, why is this here? Um, a lot of scenes uh, stick out to me. And if you can do that with me and I can remember it, I'll be like, wow, okay, you did a good job on that. And I don't hate e Eli Roth. I don't. Um, I, I don't understand the hate, I guess, with him. I, You know what? I think what it is, I really do think that it was when Hostel came out and everybody dubbed it torture porn. Remember that phrase they came up with, torture porn, uh, horror. They try to make it a subgenre, you know, saw and all that. Maybe that's why people don't like it. I don't know. I dug the first hostel. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty interesting. I, I saw Fe um, Cabin Fever when it was released. And yeah. thought it, was, it wasn't bad. It was okay. I wasn't crazy about it. But I found that even in that film, and then definitely in everything that followed, I think that Eli Roth just thinks he's more clever than he really did. That, that was my problem with Cabin <laughs> Fever was I, I hated the pancake scene. I thought it made no fucking sense and didn't need to be in the movie. Pancakes. And I hated the character that Eli Roth wrote for himself to play. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. And I was just like, oh, fuck this guy. I don't really. And then the fact that he later on produced a shot for shot remake of Cabin Fever then I was like, well, fuck this guy. <laughs> well, nobody asked for, nobody needed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do recommend not watching the first Cabin Fever, but the remake, they did a pretty damn good job. I was like, why didn't they do that in the... It's the same <laughs> it movie. It took someone though. else to make this movie. I think of some of these scenes, of like, especially the dog scene, that was, that was pretty brutal. But, so we, uh, well, when you mentioned... So I can get this back on track here. Yeah, when I'm we, sorry. When, when yeah. we mentioned Cannibal Holocaust coming out, I was sitting there thinking, man, what would it have been like to watch this in a packed theater? Oh, man. It, I don't think it'd be in a packed theater. It'd be in one yeah. of those grindhouse yeah. theaters. Well, exactly. you would still. I'm pretty sure there'd still be a lot of people in there, though. I don't know. I mean, I'd be really interested. I, I've never read any real information on audience reactions. Um, I've not seen that that typically written about and now you have me very curious and yeah you know what people in movie theaters were thinking and even so you know what sort of movie houses were playing this film because this isn't something that would be playing in the same theater as the shining and and jaws strikes back that year yeah <laughs> this would have been playing in but then at the same time you go but would it have been playing in you know that 
sort of nasty cesspool that was Times Square in the early <laughs> yeah, you know, along with these sort of, you know, penny porn booths. But even that, you're sort of like, but it's not a sexy movie. So, like, where do you show a movie like Cannibal Holocaust? <laughs> Hard to say. I don't know. I'm just glad that uh, it hasn't become such a cult hit that they don't have, like, big viewings of it now where people come dressed up and yes, maybe throw yeah, monkey brains at the screen. Their, <laughs> everyone brings their own lemur and slits its... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the entire the entire auditorium is just poles that you have to say. Oh no! <laughs> hey, if they re-showed this at like a little theater or something, I'd definitely go see this. Jesus, I now now I feel like I need to put a scene in a movie where there is a Rocky Horror style midnight screening of Cannibal Holocaust. That would be and sweet. People are acting it out. <laughs> Jesus, that would be that would be something. It, mm. it would be something. I'm putting that <laughs> here as well. I'm stealing everything. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> Get it up, man. Mop it up. <laughs> M&Ms. These are, these are all going to be things I create. <laughs> all right. Oh, so, Megan, give us your final thoughts on Hannibal, Cannibal Holocaust. Sorry, I couldn't get it out there. Like, my final thoughts on Cannibal Holocaust are that I think it is legitimately an amazing movie with really incredible things to say. And I think that it is also horrible and I'm glad there won't be another one. And I just, I think it's, I, I, I will definitely be watching it again at some point because I feel like this is saying some really nuanced things about like narrative and how we sort of can place our narratives on other people that is just, it's relevant then and it's relevant now. And also the music is gorgeous. The cinematography is great. Like this is, I approached this movie assuming as I have approached every horror movie that I've watched the last three years with Eric, I approached it with my idea of what I thought it was going to be. And it completely and totally defied my expectations. And, uh, yeah, I just, I thought it was like really incredibly interesting and it's something I'm still thinking about and that I will continue to be thinking about for a long time. And I think that that's sort of the point and I'm, I'm glad that it exists and I don't want any more. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, when you said that, you, you said you'll probably watch it one more time. I started thinking this is almost like the tape from The Ring. You watch it and then you have to show someone else. Yeah. So you get rid of the curse. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't I didn't enjoy watching it, but I'll definitely be watching it again because I feel like I, I immediately I immediately sat back and I was just like my mind is blown because that was it's amazing. It's really legitimately amazing and unexpectedly so. And it's also horrible and I will never sit down I would never sit down and watch it with my parents ever in a million years. <laughs> Well, I mean, it is a horror movie, and that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to make you feel horrible and yeah. bad. And I think this movie here really uh, succeeds in that. <laughs> Eric, what do you think? I think that it falls into a very small category of films that genuinely affect me. They ge It genuinely affects the way that I'm feeling. and as I said before, my sort of emotional and intellectual responses to this film, there's a very small list of movies that can do that. They can actually, you know, 
sort of like Megan was saying, fuck up your day. Um, but just for lack of a better term, they're haunting. Um, they don't go away easily and they always sort of lurk in the background and you're always sort of aware of it now that you've seen it. Um, you know, once you've seen an animal killed in close up, you have seen an animal killed in close up and it changes your perspective on a lot of things. Um, I think that's, that's life experience in general, but when you're confronted with imagery that shows things that you would never in your life, the, the odds that you would be able to ever witness this for yourself in your life are slim. And you are now electing and perhaps paying for the opportunity to sit down and see them. Um, that's something to ponder as well. If this is a movie you don't know by reputation and this is sort of sprung upon you, that might elicit a different response than if you are willingly going in knowing what the film is going to be. Um, but the fact that you're choosing to do so, you might want to do a little self-evaluation there, folks. <laughs> Why are you watching Cannibal Holocaust? And I think that's a, a good takeaway for all of us. And I, I think the answer is because we are all animals, we are all primitive, we are all savage, and that even us sitting here and smugly recognizing how these civilized 1980 filmmakers <laughs> went into the Green Inferno and became animals themselves, as we are recognizing that is, that is because we in 2020 have chosen to watch this movie and see all of the graphic imagery in no small part due to the fact that we are still animal and primitive so yay great success <laughs> i love this movie it's fantastic <laughs> we so in 2020 we are the, the cannibal holocaust that's what we have become okay <laughs> 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 but it hasn't gotten that bit um now i i i love that uh that y'all came on here especially you know megan being you know, watching this for the first time, I, I, I like that. I like, uh, it gives you that special feeling whenever you show someone something and they're like, hey, check this out. And then they end up liking it or they're like, what the hell? Why are you showing me this? It still makes you feel good, especially if you love horror. So, and I really enjoyed hearing both of y'all's takes on it. And uh, yeah, I, I want to I wanna talk some more stuff. I mean, we'll have to definitely... Uh, if you show her some other weird film that we've all seen or something, I would love to hear what uh, her thoughts are on it. But I yeah, think, it's, a, it's just one of those films, you know? I think you need to have like a, like a semi-regular horror virgin episode <laughs> where yeah. throw some weird obscure <laughs> title at her since I'm still trying to give her the, I mean, like. We're what, still laying the foundation, I think. I, I it, I'm having a very strange experience being with Eric because you know he is such a huge horror fan he's a filmmaker I want to know more about that stuff because I'm an artist too I want to like figure out where is his stuff coming from mm -hmm. so like I'm coming into horror in my like mid-30s for like basically the first time and it's this everything is unexpected it's not what I thought it was it's this wonderful glorious landscape I've learned so much and I also like bring this real weird perspective to like Freddie and Jason movie mm -hmm. because I'm an adult watching this stuff for the first time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
it does not it it does not mean to me i think what it probably means to people who kind of grow up on it yeah but I love it. it's amazing it's fascinating and, and i like i'm enjoying every minute out of, of it it's wonderful yeah when when I, we first met i i think you'd seen what like you'd seen scream yeah. freddy versus jason the ring and i had not just seen like... freddy versus jason but i had seen oh shoot yeah i'd seen scream and then i'd seen the ring and I'd see, yeah. yeah, like that kind of stuff. And I was like, fuck this. We need to, <laughs> we need to start from the beginning. Oh, man. So it's been exciting. Yeah, what I'll, what I'll say about this being to wrap it up here is, um, like I said, it's, like I said in the beginning, it's brutal, it's gross, and it makes me sick, and I love it. <laughs> um, of course, you know, and of course, we come, you know, we, complain about the animal killing but then you think about we have shows on tv right now called swamp people <laughs> where the through the whole show they're shooting alligators in the head <laughs> and we yeah. just, we're just like ah oh, that's normal right oh, so yeah. you know but i i think this movie had, it had a lot to say uh, i think we got a lot of good information out of uh old fans and a new fan yeah Most and definitely. i think I think we could probably both. I think the next horrible horror movie we could all talk about would be uh, probably Cats the movie. Just to cleanse the palate, you know? <laughs> Sign us up. Dude, so is it the regular theatrical version or where they added the buttholes? The one with the CGI buttholes. We oh, have to go with okay. that one. Then I'm down. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Megan, where can everybody find your work? And uh, find you on there if you want to give that out. You don't have to. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Megan Morgan. I'm on Instagram, MMM Rights. I was on Twitter as M3 Rights. I don't hang out there as much as I used to because it's a dumpster fire. Um, and I'm not very good at like being brief. Uh, so you can find my book uh, on Amazon, on clickworkspress.com, uh, which is my publisher, Goodreads, you know, uh, all, of, all of the usual places. And it's called The Altered Wake. And I am currently editing my second book in the series, The Altered Rise. And you can also find a couple of my uh, short stories slash essays in the book In the Blink of an Eye, uh, which is also on Amazon. All right, cool. Oh, Eric? I also have a podcast called uh, Cocktails and Cookbooks, which I keep forgetting about because. Whole <laughs> 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 deal. And where can where can everybody find the podcast? Uh, that is, it's everywhere. It's on all the usual places. So yeah, uh, your cool your iPhone and type it in. It's there, I guess. Simple. Yeah. Definitely will. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out, uh, Eric. Uh, Eric Christopher Myers, uh, writer, director of the movies Roulette and Butterfly Kisses, both of which are on Amazon streaming, or you can support the dying physical media thing. Um, so buy a Blu-ray, contribute to my kid's college fund. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you can also find my writing at Ain't It Cool News, where I write as Eric Christopher Myers or EKM. And typically I write on the topics of genre theory and franchise history. And um, make sure that as you are Googling myself and Googling Megan Morgan, you stop for a second. And as I said before, give this show a five-star rating, leave a comment, leave a review, like and share, change the algorithms and allow podcasts like this that are keeping you afloat during a stressful time 
um, keep them getting pushed out to find new audiences. So you could say, I was a fan of uh, a podcast from beneath long before um, it became popular. And then you can <laughs> flick your scarf backward and go back to your pumpkin um, Thai tea, iced tea, <laughs> whatever, in your minivan. <laughs> I am not a well thanks again for both of you for coming on here uh can't wait to have you back on for our next adventure and yeah. until next week we will continue to watch the good the bad and the cheaply made